Hey, everybody. It's us. Chip and Eric reading through the Bible. It's day 133. Yep. Eric, I see you're wearing your Chip and Eric read through the Bible t-shirt today. That's very good. Thanks. One thing I noticed is that uh, whoever designed it gave us the same ears, except mine look a little bit bigger. I beg to differ. <laughs> so I definitely have an issue with that. Hmm. Um, your hair. Well, you know what? Your hair's though, pretty good. You can't see our noses. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise there'd be a big difference there too because I've got Probably. a much larger nose. You do. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they're trying to compensate. Yeah, and that's it. Okay. Well, if you want your Chip and Eric t-shirt with my big ears and his huge nose. Huge. Then please go to livinglegacy.church and click on something. Yeah, just click everywhere. Yeah. What you do is you go to livinglegacy.church, click on plan a visit, and then come to church on a Sunday. Yeah. And that won't get you a t-shirt, but do that anyway. No. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Anyway, guys, so yesterday we read some psalms. They were songs. They were for the choir director. Um, Chip refused to sing to the tune of, what was it, Lilies? Is that just the Yeah, I just couldn't recall the tune. It just wasn't coming to me. Hey, uh, all joking and laughing aside, another, so we, when, when Moses struck the rock, I said that's one of the saddest passages in the Old Testament. This is probably right up there with it today. So we're going to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is sad, but there's a lot of uh, drama in here. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of like, you know. It's just, I just hate to see these guys fail. I know every, every human being is imperfect and yeah. flawed and broken. I just hate to see these guys fail, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, okay. So in the story, David has defeated the Ammonites. Um, and Shobach, Chip, one of Chip's favorite characters in the Old Testament. Had a Deezer is one of mine. Had a Deezer, yeah. You like Shobach. <laughs> but this one, 2 Samuel chapter 11, the title here is David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even though he couldn't get Uriah to go home with his wife, Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. 
David arranges for Uriah's death. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will get killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messengers, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at the Bez? By a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder the next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Second Samuel chapter 12, Nathan rebukes David. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, and he killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with a sword and the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. David confesses his guilt, and David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to this home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them. But he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and he ate. 
His advisors were amazed. We don't understand, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. David captures Rabbah. Meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, saying that I fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city. Otherwise, I'll capture it and get credit for the victory. So David gathered the rest of the army and went to Rabbah, and he fought against it and captured it. David removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and it weighed 75 pounds. Oh my gosh. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, iron picks, and iron axes, and to work in the brick kilns. That is how he dealt with the people of all the Ammonite towns. Then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem. Next up, we move ahead to 1 Chronicles chapter 20. David captures Rabbah. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, Joab led the Israelite army in successful attacks against the land of the Ammonites. In process, he laid siege to the city of Rabbah, attacking and destroying it. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Then David went to Rabbah and removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and he found that it weighed 75 pounds. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, iron picks, and iron axes. That is how David dealt with the people of all the Ammonite towns. Then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem. Battles against Philistine giants. After this, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. As they fought, Sebekai from Husha killed Saph, a descendant of the giants, and so the Philistines were subdued. During another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of Lami's spear was thick as a weaver's beam. Huh. Yeah, pretty thick. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shimei. The Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. Okay. That's it. That's it. Six fingers on one hand. Six fingers on both hands. Both hands. Yeah, and six toes on each foot. Wow. Got to think there's not a lot of diversity in that family tree. Hmm. Crazy. Well, this should be an easy one, Chip. There's lots of good so what's in this. Well, that doesn't make it easy. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. It makes it challenging. Um, so I'm going to give you a principle when it comes to, for the so what today, mm -hmm. when it comes to sin and disobeying God, and this can happen to, to anybody, anybody at any time, 
And the principle is this. Boredom can lead to disobedience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, when you're bored, we hear our kids say it all the time, or I hear my kids say it, um, and we said it. And, mm-hmm. and, and when you get older, you don't say it, you just think it, and you, you find things to do. But when you kind of get bored and you, and you turn to this or turn to that or click on this and click on that or watch this or watch that or drink this and drink that and party here or there or whatever, mm-hmm. when you get bored and you're not purposeful when it comes to the things of God, you know, you can get in trouble. And I think back to my life, you know, and the times where I've strayed from God and done my own thing and looked at things or watched things or said things or done things I shouldn't have done. I've taken my my focus off of the purpose and plan, the will and the way of God. And I become bored, mm-hmm. you know, and I do my own thing then. And my own thing leads to the wrong thing, which is a bad thing. And we see this played out with David. He did his thing. He stayed home. Yeah, he didn't he go would, to war. All the kings went to war, it says. Yeah. He didn't go to war. Stayed home. He was bored. Mm-hmm. Looked out. What do I do? Whoa! Look who I see. Mm-hmm. And then you start thinking about things, right? And so he was supposed to be out. Instead, he was in. So then he sent for Bathsheba. And it just it just keep, just got, you know, escalating. Mm-hmm. You know, and you and I, we read the story and... and, and at least for me, it's just like, what was he thinking? Mm-hmm. He wasn't thinking. He wasn't, right? Yeah, he wasn't thinking. He, and, and that's what happens with sin. starts with boredom. When you, when you stop doing the purpose, plan, will, and way of God, you get bored, and your mind starts to wonder, and you do these things, you try this and try that, and you don't think. And then you try to cover it up, and it gets worse. And then the principle comes into play where, yes, your sin doesn't just affect you, and that's, that's with secret sins, right. we think that. Yep. And so that's why secret sins are so appealing because no, we think nobody knows. Yeah. God knows. Yeah. Nobody else might know. He knows. And yet it will eventually impact other people and they will, they'll know. That's true. They're going to know. That's true. And it's going to impact them. So uh, I would say don't, don't uh, or stay away from situations where you can get bored, meaning um, stay away from situations that are not a part of the purpose, plan, will, and way of God. Mm-hmm. And, and hone into that, lean into that, follow that, and you'll never, you'll never be bored when right. you do the will of, right. of God yeah. and follow the way of God. Yep. Second Thessalonians says all over the place, don't be idle, don't be idle. Yeah. There's work to be done, you know, like constantly. And I think that so it's true. exactly right that when we choose to be idle, mm-hmm. we're going to fall into these things. So I think that's a good one. So, uh, where's Jesus? Well, we met a character today who is uh, really important. Six-finger guy? Nope. Okay. Don't care about him. All right. Pretty impressive. Nope. When we jump forward to Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father, father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Matthew, as a, as a Hebrew man who the focus of his whole gospel is Jesus as the king. He wants the royal lineage of Jesus recorded. Um, As a Jewish man, he knew the story of David, Bathsheba, Uriah, Solomon. He knew that very well. And um, so he includes it. I mean, you know, you look at some of the other names, like even Solomon, right? The next verse, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. No story, no narrative necessary, right? 
But Matthew purposely includes Bathsheba and Uriah because he wants to communicate the fact that the king came from a broken background, that by being of human lineage, you know, divinely created, you know, the the body of Jesus was divinely created, the Holy Spirit and human, but, you know, and he was previously coexistent with God forever and eternity because he is God. But the moment that God chose to partner with humanity to bring forth the God-man, he was bound to find a broken person because that's all that there is. And Matthew wants to highlight that. And so this very ugly, very sad story goes to show us that God will use the ugliness and the sadness to do amazing, incomprehensible things. And that's exactly what, what Matthew's trying to communicate here. So that is where I see Jesus yeah. in this. This is his lineage. We met four characters in the lineage of, well, three characters yeah. in the lineage of Jesus there. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good point you made there today. Yeah, good because I think you know, talk to many people they're just not good enough and don't measure up and broken past and mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes and yeah, right. We know someone who had came from that as well. Yeah, we sure do. So. We sure do. Well, okay. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Great yeah. to have you with us. So good. Come back to read some psalms with us tomorrow. It'll be good. Yeah. Say hi to friends and family for us. Yeah, and then send them to livinglegacy.church slash Bible in a year to mm-hmm. listen and get their T-shirts. And you can buy it for them. Yeah, for free. Buy, buy them a T-shirt. Buy a T-shirt. Okay, bye. Bye.